Welcome to Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. The fall holy times are about getting back to the fundamentals. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. The things that are fundamental are written in the Torah, God's instructions. Let's discuss the fundamentals together. If you didn't know, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Understanding and believing the Torah gives context to the rest of the Bible. You can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com. Find us at our website, www.redpilltorah.com. Follow us on redpilltorah.podbean.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, or wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And a big shalom to our listeners in New York and Sweden. Listen out for our Red Pill Torah on a radio station near you. As you likely know, we've entered into the fall holy times of Yehovah. They're known as Yom Teruah, the day of loud blasts, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, and Sukkot, or tabernacles. These times are essential for all of us who love the Elohim of Israel and His Son, Messiah Yeshua. All over the world, believers are asking questions about the faith once delivered to the saints. They're realizing, just as we did, that while their intentions are good, their knowledge of the faith is incomplete. While we can't know everything that we could possibly know in this life, so many believers are asking questions about the faith, and they are recognizing that the answers that they get don't seem to line up with the whole Bible. That's right, Daddy. Like us, they're doing the Berean thing checking out what they are taught to ensure it lines up with the Bible. Mm -hmm. Unlike the Bereans in the New Testament, their research is leading to more questions about what they're missing. More and more, we see believers coming to synagogues unsure about why. It's as if they feel drawn there. That's exactly what I believe is happening. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is drawing them, and they are discovering the connections in Scripture that they were missing. The pages between Malachi and the Gospel according to Matthew is a wasted piece of paper. The story of the scriptures continue into the New Testament with no reset in meaning or intent. What was true in the Old Testament, quote-unquote, remains true in the New Testament. Amen. You know, it's like trying to graduate to advanced math without mastering basic subtraction, or trying to read William Shakespeare without recognizing all of the letters and, and what they sound like. When we were in grade school, there was talk about the three R's. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, or arithmetic, right? Well, that's kind of funny to imagine now because only one of those words actually <laughs> begins with an R. Um, I guess phonics was a bigger deal back then as well, you know? Yeah, that is kind of funny, Daddy. You make really good jokes. Hey, I'm glad you like them, Mama. I do. And I see the irony in your point. Reading, writing, and arithmetic were the fundamentals of our education system back then. A person was thought to have a well-rounded education if they were proficient in these areas. There are three R's in the fall holy times, however. Mm. We found them in the story involving King David. Second Samuel chapter 11 begins the story. Starting at verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go out to war, David sent out Joab, his, ser his servants, 
and those that were with him and all of Israel. They ravaged the people of Ammon and laid siege to Rabbah. But King David stayed in Yerushalayim. Once, after his afternoon nap, David got up from his bed and went strolling on the roof of the king's palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, who was very beautiful. David made inquiries about the woman and was told that she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hitti. David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he went to bed with her, for she had been purified from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent a message to King David. Hey, I'm pregnant. From that point, King David worked to cover up the problem. He sent for her husband, a faithful soldier named Uriah. If you haven't heard it already, check out our podcast, episode 16, called What's in a Name? In it, we discuss the hidden meanings of many names in the Bible. Some of those names are still popular to this day. The name Uriah is a great one. Or means light. And Yah is short for the name of our Elohim, Yehovah. When you put it together, it means Yehovah is light. 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5 says, And this is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Yehovah is light, and there is no darkness in him, none. Good scripture, Mama. It continues with, If we claim to have fellowship with him while we're walking in the darkness, we are lying and not living out the truth. But if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of his Son, Yeshua, purifies us from all sin. If we claim not to have sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, this next verse is really relevant for the three R's. It says, If we acknowledge our sins, then, since he is trustworthy and just, he will forgive them and purify us from all wrongdoing. Now, hang in there. We'll tie that verse in with the three R's shortly. So, King David worked to cover up his affair with a married woman. Ultimately, he had her faithful husband, named Jehovah is Light, killed in the hottest part of the battle. David tried to put out the light of Jehovah, but it didn't work. Chapter 12 picks up the story, starting at verse 1. It says, Jehovah sent Nathan, or Nathan, the prophet, to David. He said to him, In a certain city where there were two men, one rich, the other poor, the rich man had vast flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, or which he had bought, and reared. It had grown up with him and his children. It ate from his plate, drank from his cup, laid on his chest. It was like a daughter to him. One day a traveler visited the rich man, and instead of picking an animal from his own flock or herd to cook for his visitor, he took the poor man's lamb and cooked it for the man who had come to him. David's judgment was swift and severe. He pronounced a death sentence on the guilty man, ordering that he restore the lamb four times over before he's killed. Wow. Now, Nathan's reply was pretty serious. Starting at verse 7, Nathan said to David, You're the man. Here is what Jehovah, the Elohim of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. 
I've rescued you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives to embrace. I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So why have you shown such contempt for the word of Jehovah and done what I see as evil? You murdered Uriah the Hitti or Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You put him to death with the sword of the people of Ammon. King David quickly recognized his sin. That's the first R of the fall holy times. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Jehovah. Nathan said to David, Jehovah also has taken away your sin. You will not die. Daddy, we must recognize or acknowledge that we have fallen short in Jehovah's sight. Mm -hmm. This is true of us individually and collectively. In King David's case, the Torah says that he and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, were supposed to die. In his mercy, Jehovah commuted their death sentence. Because David's sin would give the enemies of Israel reason to blaspheme, there were consequences for the child they produced. Verse 14 says, Because by this act you have so greatly blasphemed Jehovah, the child born to you must die. King David knew of Jehovah's great mercy, given the fact that he was still alive. He hoped that the child might be shown the same mercy. The king fasted before Jehovah, pleading for the child's life. But Jehovah took the child, rather than allowing him to be accursed in Israel and used to blaspheme Elohim. Verse 20 says that when David found out, then David got up off the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of Jehovah and worshipped. Then he went to his own palace, and when he asked for food, they served it to him, and he ate. The second R is for return. After King David recognized his sin, he returned to the Elohim of Israel. He took his place as a worshiper and humbled himself before his maker. Jehovah allowed the next child of King David and Bathsheba to live. His name was Shlomo. We know him as Solomon, the wisest and richest of all the kings of Israel. Some people may think that King David got off easy or was forgiven too quickly. I mean, he had an affair with a married woman, mm -hmm. tried to cover it up by murdering her husband, mm -hmm. and then tried to fix it by marrying the widow. We must remember that we're not Elohim. In his infinite wisdom, he chose to be very merciful to King David, although King David's actions were not without consequences. People who have lost a child can attest that David's punishment was quite severe. Moreover, if we think about it in our own lives, I don't doubt that we have wanted and appreciated Jehovah's mercy on us when we messed up. Yeah, that's a lot to think about, Mama. You know, much later in King David's life, another man positioned himself to be king after David. Bathsheba reminded King David that he had previously said that Solomon would reign as king after him. King David quickly made his choice for king known. He ordered three trusted men to have Solomon anointed immediately. They were Tzedek the Kohen, or priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. We hear their response to the king's orders in verse 36. It says, Benaiah respond to the king by saying, Amen. May Jehovah, the God of my lord, the king, confirm it. 
Just as Jehovah has been with my Lord the King, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord King David. The third R is rejoice. This is the instruction for the third holy time in the fall. And Benaiah's response to David's order was enthusiastic support. Amen. So what would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were out of line with God's instructions? Would you take the blue pill and act as if the fall holy times are not for you? Or would you take the red pill, recognize your sin before Elohim, return to his ways, and rejoice with the people who love him and keep his commandments? Only you can answer that question. We talk about Yom Teruah when the blast of the shofar gets our attention. That should remind us of what time it is. Time to re'eh, time to see what time it is, and to prepare for business with Elohim. Consider what is happening in our world today. Surely, these are perilous times mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you need it, search through our podcast library and get a crash course on Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. It's time to get ready. It's past time to recognize. Don't miss your time to return so you can be part of the rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Feel free to listen to it again. Email or text it to a friend. Start a conversation. If you're a frequent listener, please send us an email letting us know how you're doing and if the podcast has been a blessing to you. We hope so. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Bill Torah, where...